About two hours outside of the city of Atlanta stands one of the strangest and most carefully crafted monuments in the whole United States. Even though it's an impressive work of design and analog engineering, there's a good reason you probably have never heard of it. Obert County, who now owns the monument and the lands it sits on, would probably prefer it that way. Made from massive slabs of solid granite, which happens to be one of the hardest and most durable substances on Earth, the monument towers almost 20 feet high. 19 feet 3 inches to be exact. And in this case, this season, exact numbers may actually be very significant. They sit atop a mound and have been designed and positioned so meticulously that carefully arranged gaps in the stones will reveal the date at noon each day through rays of sunlight. If you were to visit the monument in the evening, a tiny hole in the center column will reveal the position of the actual North Star. But it's not the remarkable craftsmanship or even the massive expense of the monument that has been called America's Stonehenge that makes it so remarkable. It's their mysterious origins and the cryptic messages etched onto them that make the quote, Georgia Guidestones, the starting point for a rabbit hole that leads all the way to the heart of one of the internet's darkest corners and most dangerous ideas. In fact, what's inscribed on these massive pieces of granite have even been called the Ten Commandments of the Antichrist. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm a writer, a journalist, and a podcaster. And this is Hiding Something. Season 3, Leviathan. Chapter 1, What Lies Beneath Before we discuss what's etched onto the sides of the Georgia Guidestones, it's probably good to first understand how they came to be. The only problem is, much of their backstory remains a mystery, and the only clues to solving it may have been intentionally destroyed several years ago. Here's what we know. On a hot summer afternoon in 1979, a well-dressed man walked into the office of Elberton Granite Finishing Company. Elberton is known for its massive granite deposits underneath the town and surrounding areas. The man would only identify himself as, quote, Robert C. Christian, but his name, it didn't really matter. It turns out, he said he wasn't even there on his own behalf. He claimed to be an Elberton at the behest of, quote, a small group of loyal Americans, end quote. R.C. Christian, as he would later become known, both intrigued and annoyed Elberton Granite Finishing Company's Joe Finley, mainly because his story seemed so unbelievable. Christian claimed that he had traveled to Elberton because it was home to the most high-quality stones in the world, and he was there to place an order for the largest pieces of granite that would ever be pulled from its quarries. Christian also needed it to be cut and finished in extremely precise ways. Sure, Finley was curious about the project, but he also saw an opportunity to potentially make a lot of money. The cost of such a project would be massive, and when the strange visitor started describing what the monument would be able to do, essentially serving as a working, indestructible compass and calendar, Finley got skeptical. To quell Finley's growing skepticism, Christian suggested that they visit a local bank to discuss how the project would be paid for. That's when a man named Wyatt Martin enters the picture. At the time, he was the president of Granite City Bank, and Martin met with the mysterious visitor to understand more about the project and what it would cost. Finley explained the meeting like this to Wired Magazine in an article that ran back in 2009. Finley called me and said, a kook over here wants some kind of crazy monument. But when this fella showed up, he was wearing a very nice suit, which made me take him a little more seriously. And he was well-spoken, obviously an educated person. 
The stranger told Wyatt Martin that the name R.C. Christian was in fact a made-up name. He went on to explain that he was representing a group that had been covertly planning this project for two decades. Christian said that a condition of doing business together would be a vow of eternal secrecy about his identity and the identity of the group. He was even asked to sign a document that ensured all documentation related to the project would later be destroyed. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with Wyatt Martin, who was the banker you talked about. Who um, So he went to, went to the Granite Finishing Company, and the guy's name was Joe Finley. Okay. And he goes, well this is a lot you're asking for. And if, if I'm going to take you seriously, I want to know that you can pay for it. So he takes him over to the bank, uh, to his friend, Wyatt Martin, who then like, you know, does his due diligence. And so that's why only those two men knew the guy's real identity. And the only reason he knew it was so he could prove that he could pay for it. Um, and then he made him vow to never tell anybody who he was. And, uh, you know, he's an old Southern gentleman, man of his word. And, uh, that's exactly what he did. That's the voice of Noel Brown. He hosts an amazing podcast called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, and he made a short film about the Guidestones when he was a college student. He discussed the project on another podcast I host called Listed. It's a subject he knows a lot about, because before Wyatt Martin died, he actually spent a lot of time with Noel Brown. In fact, Noel even witnessed Finley making good on his vow. He has this box of all this stuff. He kept all these documents with the guy's true identity, like paperwork and bank stuff. And he burns it in a bucket, like in a big, oh, uh, what do you call it? Like a, like a barrel, um, yeah. you know, for me, for the camera. And sure, I could have peeked in and figured out who it was probably, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't want to do that. I didn't want to be dishonest. And, hey, and you're a good Southern gentleman as well. The guys, your word. Yeah. You know, the, this, this promise the guy made. After the initial meetings with Finley and Martin, R.C. Christian toured the area by air to find a location for the monument and returned to the bank the next week. He purchased a small patch of hillside to display the structure, which was later deeded over to Elbert County, and carefully laid out the plans for the monument, even giving Finley a small model of the final product. Before he left town, he cryptically told Finley this, quote, You'll never see me again. R.C. Christian kept his word to Finley. However, Christian would occasionally send letters to Wyatt Martin seeking updates, but they were always sent from different cities, but never the same city more than once. The two would later become friendly and even stayed in contact until 2001. That's the last time Martin received a letter from the mysterious man who went by R.C. Christian. And when Wyatt passed away, he took the secret of his real identity with him. Well, maybe, but we'll get into that later. The circumstances of the Georgia Guidestones construction, they're odd, but look, they're not particularly ominous. However, what's inscribed on the monument, it's actually pretty chilling. Written in various languages, including inscriptions comprised of Egyptian hieroglyphics and ancient Babylonian cuneiform on its capstone, the Guidestones contain 10 instructions, which, as the Wired article from 2009 noted, have been referred to as, quote, the Ten Commandments of the Antichrist. A few of the 10 guidelines seem somewhat innocuous at first, like take number seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials, or number five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts, or take number nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. However, when you start to read the others, an ominous pattern emerges. These seem to be rules for some sort of new world order and their future ruling powers over humanity. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. That's the first rule. For context, the United States currently has a population of just over 335 million. According to the Guidestones, global humanity must, quote, maintain a population of not much more than that. In fact, several of the commandments have potentially genocidal and eugenic implications. 
guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. There are also several that seemingly call for a large new government institution. Unite humanity with a living new language. Let all nations rule internally resolving external disputes in a world court. Balance personal rights with social duties. Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. A nearby tablet explains, let these be guidestones to an age of reason. It's not hard to see why the guidestones were immediately controversial. Okay, so let's set aside hard-capping the global population for a minute, and let's unpack some of these other edicts that someone or some group of people spend a tremendous amount of time and money paying to be etched onto the side of a monument. Many seem to be suggesting the need for a one-world government that would be in charge of maintaining a single language, resolving issues between nations, and ruling over religion, while also demanding that citizens, quote, balance their personal rights with whatever is deemed to be a, quote, social duty. Okay, now we need to address the other rules on the Guidestones. Some of them, well, they may sound pretty familiar. Titan was like most planets. Too many mouths, not enough to go around. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Genocide. You may recognize that voice. It's Thanos, the world-destroying supervillain from the Marvel movies. But random, dispassionate, fair to rich and poor alike. They called me a madman. And what I predicted came to pass. In this scene from Endgame, he's seen balancing a double-bladed knife on his pointer finger, talking to a young girl before slaughtering half of the families living on her home planet. But for Thanos, his genocidal quest to eliminate half of the universe's population, it was personal. Okay, I'm not suggesting that Marvel movies took character motivations from the Georgia Guidestones, but look, the implications of what are etched onto that monument it's the stuff of supervillains. R.C. Christian's monument not only echoes Thanos' call to eliminate much of the population, they literally also call for, quote, perpetual balance, end quote, like Thanos' double-bladed knife. They state twice that humanity must, quote, leave room for nature. There's also this on the stones. Guide read production wisely, improving fitness and diversity, end quote. The idea of guided reproduction isn't a massive leap from eugenics. The stones are also a weird sort of engineering marvel. The five massive monolith tablets are arranged in a star shape, which constantly throw light in interesting ways. But even before the internet helped to spread the odd message on the stones, locals had an uneasy relationship with them. A local sandblaster who was hired to work on them back in 1979 said that while he was etching them, he constantly heard, quote, strange music and disjointed voices, end quote. Since the beginning, people have been trying to solve the mystery of who is behind them. But it seems kind of likely that Noel Brown really did witness the only real evidence being destroyed several years ago. Well, maybe. That means all we're left with are clues. The primary one being the initials R.C. Christian. Remember, that was a made-up name. The real R.C. Christian, he could have chosen anything for the made-up name, though. Why would someone who seems so obsessed with precision, design, and even how letters are arranged just randomly pick a pseudonym with no significance? Is the name R.C. Christian a clue to a bigger mystery? Is it a red herring meant to further obscure his identity? Or is it just a random detail to a strange story that we're assigning meaning to? When faced with a potentially unsolvable problem, it's easy to fall into the trap of looking for answers where they might not exist. 
But what if R.C. Christian really is trying to tell us something? Okay, I'm going to go back to the story of R.C. Christian soon, but first, I want to tell you another story. This one is about an island off the coast of Nova Scotia. If you were to look at the island from an aerial view on a map, it seems pretty unremarkable. It's one of several hundred small islands in the bay that it occupies, and at about 140 square acres, it's not that big. But for more than 200 years, it's been home to a mystery that has drawn explorers and adventurers, and cost several of them, their lives. There's a chance you may have heard of the island, because today, digging is still going on. And strange artifacts are regularly being found hundreds of feet under its soil. You ready to find treasure? We found something that will blow them away. You're going to love this, Rick. I think we found the money. I know we found the money, bit. It's real. <laughs> oh, Somebody got hurt. This is ominous. It's really bad. I don't Whoa. care what Mother Nature has done. The island can throw whatever it wants at us. We're not giving up. That's a clip from a promotional trailer for the History Channel series, The Curse of Oak Island, which follows the efforts of modern-day treasure hunters who are searching for the truth behind the mysterious island. And the word curse? It's not just hyperbolic. Many of the individuals who have been involved in treasure hunting on the island over the last 200 years have met tragic fates. According to local lore, the island will claim at least seven lives before the treasure will be found. As of today, six people have died trying to find it. The origins of the mystery are difficult to verify, but it's believed that in 1799, a man named Daniel McGinnis was walking to a farm on the island when he stumbled upon an odd-looking depression in the ground. Intrigued by legends that there was buried pirate treasure on the island, McGinnis grabbed two of his friends and returned to the depression and began digging. In another version of the events, as told in a 1965 Reader's Digest article, just above the depression was a piece of old ship's tackle hanging from a sawed-off tree branch, meaning someone marked the spot for later return. In any case, that's when things, it took an odd turn. Ten feet down, the three friends hit something. Now, accounts have varied, but according to the most widely accepted story, at the ten-feet mark, they struck a layer of flat flagstones. In another telling, they hit a layer of carefully arranged logs and oak platforms. The men kept digging, and at another 10 feet down, they hit another layer of the man-made platforms. They dug 10 more feet before hitting another. Along the way, according to some accounts, they also saw pickaxe marks. Eventually, the three exhausted friends gave up. However, rumors about the pit, they began to spread. In 1802, an expedition by a group called the Onslow Company was financed to further explore what was down there. Soon, though, things would start to get even stranger on Oak Island. The Onslow Company kept digging, and every 10 feet, they would strike another of these odd platforms. But that's not all they hit. Before the first expedition was abandoned, after the pit flooded, for seemingly unexplainable reasons, they found a large stone. On it were odd symbols. Okay, so no photos or physical evidence of the stone currently exist. And there is some debate about the authenticity of the carvings. But there is some documented evidence that suggests the stone was real. In 1862, a newspaper called the Halifax Sun and Advisor published a letter, reportedly from someone who had worked with the Onslow Company. The story recounted this, quote, Some layers were charcoal, some putty, and one, at 80 feet, was a stone-cut square, two feet long, about a foot thick, and with several characters cut onto it. It's unclear what happened to the stone, 
But in 1864, the Historical Society of Nova Scotia did an investigation in which they reported that the stone was built into the fireplace of a local home as a way of displaying it to visitors. According to the reports, the man hired by the Historical Society to investigate said that he had visited the home more than a decade before. Here's how he described the stone. There were some crudely cut letters, figures, and characters upon it. I cannot recollect which, but they appear as if they had been scraped out by a blunt instrument rather than cut with a sharp one, end quote. Though no one is certain about what happened to the stone, most accounts suggest that whatever was etched onto it was indecipherable, but many have tried to get to the bottom of the mystery. In 1949, a well-known maritime historian named Edward Rose Stone published a book called True Tales of Buried Treasure. In the book, Snow says that a local reverend had gave him a set of symbols that were engraved on the stone. The reverend said he got it from a local school teacher. Sure, the origins of how he got those symbols, they're a little dubious, but Stone is a respected writer and historian. Stone claims that the symbols were actually a cipher. A cipher is essentially a primitive way of encrypting text. To the layperson, the sequence of numbers, symbols, or letters appear to be random and nonsensical. But if you have the key, essentially a sort of guide that associates the seemingly meaningless characters to actual letters in the alphabet, you can decipher the secret message. Oftentimes, that key, the one that's used to decode ciphers, is pretty simple, and it frequently hides in plain sight. Stone claimed that the cipher indicated that there was something of extremely high value buried beneath Oak Island. Okay, so why am I telling you this? What does R.C. Christian in a monument built in 1979 possibly have to do with a mysterious stone tablet found underneath an island off the coast of Canada? This season, we're going to be exploring a new set of mysteries in an effort to understand something. Why do some people, particularly in the modern internet era, believe that powerful forces are conspiring to control humanity? How do many people see seemingly ordinary events, link them together in ominous ways through perceived codes, hand signals, cryptic message board posts, and symbols, and determine that something sinister is actually happening? Well, many of these people seem to believe that if you know the keys, then unlocking the meaning of these messages is as simple as decoding a cipher. So, how are these two stories of the Georgia Guidestones and the Oak Island Mystery possibly connected? And who might possibly be the real R.C. Christian? The answer might be as simple as finding a key hidden within symbols or numbers. Remember, numbers can be really significant. The Georgia Guidestones contain eight primary languages, and its support stones are each two feet thick. On a corner of Oak Island known as Smith's Cove, an odd-looking lead cross that some researchers believe date back to the 15th century was found, and modern treasure hunters have found artifacts that some speculate are from the 16th, not the 17th at the very oldest. There are two ways of looking at seemingly random numbers like this, and the fact that Oak Island is 11 meters above sea level. Maybe they're random, but maybe they have meaning. The guidestones are also arranged in a way so that even in the changing seasons, its sundial-style clock and calendars will work because of how precisely they're aligned to the sun's solstices and equinoxes. Maybe something about the season holds the key. <laughs> Look, they're either random, meaningless facts that happen to be associated with unrelated but admittedly strange places, or they might hold the key to connecting them and a much, much larger mystery. 
Before we go, there's something else important that you need to know about the Oak Island mystery. For two centuries, it's drawn the curiosity of some extremely notable individuals, including the rich and famous, like actor John Wayne, who personally invested in equipment used to explore the island, and the heir to the massive Astaire family fortune, William Vincent Astaire, who also spent money in exploration attempts. The late President Franklin Roosevelt was also fascinated by the island after hearing about it from his grandfather, a sailor who had passed along stories of the mysterious island to his grandson. During his presidency, FDR even tried to covertly visit the island, but he had to cancel at the last minute, reportedly due to weather. But that didn't stop him from trying to retrieve whatever was under there. At one point, he even teamed up with the famed military hero Rear Admiral Richard E. Byrd Jr. to try to get to the bottom of the mystery. And though there's no evidence that they found anything, there was enough evidence to draw a sitting president into a mystery he reportedly became fascinated with for the rest of his life. And he's not the only one seemingly convinced that whatever is down there, it's worth finding. Because some people believe that someone, or more likely some group of people, have gone to extreme lengths to hide something. In the late 1960s, an exploration team lowered a camera deep into a borehole. According to their reports, the images revealed what appeared to be some sort of collection of chests, tools, and possibly human remains. Not long after, the hole collapsed and was filled with seawater. And when divers eventually made their way into the cave 35 years and hundreds of tide cycles later, the articles and the human remains, they were nowhere to be found. So why was FDR so interested? What's hiding underneath this mysterious island? And what key to unlocking the mystery does the true identity of R.C. Christian hold? That's next time on Season 3 of Hiding Something. Hiding Something is an ironclad original. All episodes are written by me, Jesse Carey. Our post-production producer is Chandler Strang. And special thanks to Brian Crouch, who provided voiceover acting in this episode and several more this season. Hey, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to connect with more listeners of the show, be sure to check out the Hiding Something subreddit. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. 